making a million dollars off of my podcast. I want a cut of that. I want to be on the record. You're on the record now. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Philip was here. He knows. You're you're on the record. So you're putting this on a website. Uh, it'll be on iTunes podcast. So what are your nowadays. intentions with this podcast? <laughs> I mean, ultimately, this is just like, this is the fun one. Good to like tell stories. But you want to be a podcaster and that's what you want to do for your career. That's what you're telling me? I mean, this is your intro into that. That would be fun. Yeah, you're launching me into that career. Perfect. What do you think about that? I'm glad to know that I could be of assistance. <laughs> Please listen carefully. Hey, this is Jeremy Griswold. And I'm Drew Colson. And you are listening to You'll Never Guess. Stories about normal days that turned into you'll never guess what happened kind of days. And on today's episode, which is what makes the story that much stupider, <laughs> is that we had made one, made a couple, obviously, in the past. And one time, a police officer, Kata, sat us down at my parents' house and told us to stop doing it. And that worked temporarily. We all do stupid things when we're young. And Matt is no exception. Matthew Thumper Hoffman. Thank you for using my full name on the internet. My name is Matthew Thumper Hoffman. I'm 28-year-old Caucasian male, brown hair, blue eyes, 5 foot 11 and 3 quarters. I was born April 24th, 1988 in Bakersfield, California. Don't normally claim Bakersfield, but I just did this time. Spent 26 years of my life in Fresno, California. Did my time. And I now reside outside of Austin, Texas, in a little city or town called Bee Cave, Texas. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your day? All right, well, let's backtrack to this day. I was 15 years old, hanging out with a buddy who was 16 years old, but could not drive. So at that point, when you're 15 and 16 and you don't have a car, you're basically losers and you're stuck to, you know, skateboarding anywhere and everywhere you want to go, which is what we did all the time. We were some punk kids. Uh, we didn't get in a lot of trouble. I mean, we weren't like bad kids necessarily, uh, maybe a little mischievous. But uh, on that day, I think I had spent the night at my friend's house. And that morning we had done some skateboarding and we we're just kind of getting bored. But we we're at his house. I didn't want to go home yet. Um, and we we're just like, all right, what should we do? And leading up to this point, we had made a lot of bombs. Actually, I won't even say that. We'll have to scratch that from the record. I don't want people to know what we used to make the bomb necessarily. Um, so we had made a lot of smaller bombs, um, usually in like two liter bottles, sometimes one liter bottles. So not much damage that can be created from a plastic soda bottle. On this particular day, I brought it up like, hey, why don't we just go do that for fun, right? And my friend was just like, yeah, I don't really want to. And I was like, okay, well, whatever, no big deal. And um, we were still bored. And he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I still think we should, you know, go make a bomb and have some fun with it. He's like, I don't really want to. And then I, I was pretty persistent. Like, well, if we're not going to do anything, like, let's do it. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm probably going to head home. And he finally was like, okay, let's just go do that. So jumped on our skateboards, went to the 99 cent store. But of course. Of course. I mean, where else are you going to get your bomb making <laughs> materials? Um, so we go to the 99 cent <laughs> store, get absolutely everything that we needed to make this bomb. And we get back to his house. And for whatever reason, we were just like, we're not using a two liter bottle this time. We're going to use a 
a fire extinguisher as the casing to this bomb. And I think that we might have done it one time previously. So we had a failed attempt one time. We had a successful attempt. Um, but honestly, we really had no idea what we were doing with a, a fire extinguisher at that point. Because the way this works is it's a, a chemical reaction that causes a gas to expand in a contained uh, area, usually a two liter bottle. This time we're using a fire extinguisher. So the metal in the fire extinguisher is going to have um, a different, you know, breaking point than a two liter bottle of plastic. And we didn't really have any science to figure out what that was. We were 15, 16 year old punks. And so we're like, all right, well, let's do this. This will be fun. And so we were skateboarding with a backpack backpacks on over to an open field uh, my friend also happened to be wearing a gas mask. <laughs> Don't ask me why that was just, I guess, the cool factor when you're 15 and 16. I mean, wearing a gas mask is probably about as cool as it gets. And so we put our skateboards down. We got to the to, to, to this open field, which, by the way, was just at the end of a cul-de-sac. So there's houses right next to us. There is an open field with a church on the other side with their children's playground being the closest thing to us. But again, we don't know anything about what we're about to do with this fire extinguisher. Honestly, we have no, no idea what to expect. And so we get there, we open up the fire extinguisher, which it's very easy. It's just a twist cap, just like you would a two liter bottle. You can just twist the top off. Um, and we poured the stuff inside and the, the way it works is there's a powder and there's a liquid and you pour the powder in first. And then as soon as you start pouring that liquid in, that's when the timer starts on. It creates a gas that is then going to explode once you contain it, right? And the gas that it creates is also highly poisonous. Um, in World War II, it was one of their uh, chemical bombs that they used to drop all over Europe and whatnot. So it's probably wasn't the smartest idea for us to be doing this in the first place, but whatever, we're kids. Um, and so we start pouring in the liquid and... Uh, my friend twists the cap on and while he's getting ready to throw this fire extinguisher um, into this field, I run over to get our skateboards because obviously we're going to skateboard away as soon as it explodes so that we don't get in trouble if anyone hears it or sees us. And so I run over and I grab our skateboards and I look over my shoulder just as he's starting to throw this fire extinguisher. And yes, worst case scenario happens. It explodes in his hand like he didn't even let go of it. And it is a very loud noise. I mean, think of probably three or four times the the sound of like a shotgun blast. Like it's very, very loud. And he's got this gas mask on. And I don't I'm I'm in shock, right? Like what just happened? I run start running towards him to make sure he's okay because he's screaming, but it's a very muffled scream with that gas mask on. And he's walking over to the curb and he just kind of collapses on the ground in front of someone's house <laughs> and I run over there. I just see blood everywhere and I have no idea. His hands look okay. So I'm just like, Oh my gosh, he's screaming. Um, I have a cell phone on me, but in, in the time I don't think of using it to call 911. I just think we are down the street from this guy's parents' house. They need to know. So I tell him, I'm going to go tell your parents, wait right here. Obviously he can't do anything else anyway. Um, we find out later that he actually, 
the bomb severed his right quad all the way down to his femur. And so it just basically chopped up all the muscles, all the tendons. Like the only way he was even able to walk the five or six steps they did was just out of sheer shock. Like his, there's no way from a physiological standpoint that he should have been able to do that, but crazy things happen. And so I get on my skateboard. I skateboard, you know, it's probably maybe a block away to his parents' house. I run in there and I tell them, call the police. It's hurt. And they're like, what? And so they call the police right away. Um, and I showed them where he is. We run back down there. Oh, I just said his name. Dang it. And so we run back down there. I'll bleep it. Okay. We run back down there. Um, and they're looking at him. Police are coming. I stand on the corner and there's the first person that comes to the fire truck. And so I motion the fire truck to go where he is. Um, they all go over there. A couple cop cars roll up. An ambulance shows up. And I make it back once everyone's there and surrounding us in this uh, cul-de-sac. And uh, I see them <laughs> take off one of his shoes and just pour blood all over the ground. Like it was like to this day, that's one of like the worst memories that I have from this whole ordeal. They cut his pants uh, down to his leg just to make sure they could see what the wound looked like. And they actually also cut his shirt off just to make sure that he didn't get any shrapnel or any issues um, in his, his body, his upper body. And he didn't cry at all from pain or anything, but when they cut his brand new Volcom shirt, <laughs> that's when the tears started flowing. <laughs> So what ends up happening is then uh, friends, parents call my parents. They all show up. Uh, police officers start questioning us. I'm hysterical at this point because I'm just like, I'm getting arrested. My friend is probably dying. Like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm 15. When the police came and looked at what we had done, like throwing that, when Elijah was supposed to throw the bomb into the field and it exploded early, the, the shrapnel was 80 yards radius. So even though we were throwing it into an open field, um, it never got that far, number one. It, like I said, exploded in his hand, but they found shrapnel in the playground of the church on the other side of the field. So our ignorance, our stupidity, could have actually really done a lot of damage to a lot of people. I mean, people's homes were hit with pieces of metal. It's a miracle I wasn't hit somehow. Like That's just the grace of God that somehow it went everywhere except in my direction. Um, we're lucky that there weren't any kids playing in a, a playground on a Saturday, um, at that church and that no one else got hurt. But, uh, that's a big part of why we got charged so heavily is that it was a very, very serious and stupid mistake that we made. Um, things that you don't think about when you're a kid. Um, so they took him off to the hospital to have surgery. And then I'm sitting there on the back of a police car getting questioned about everything. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I guess they told my parents they're just going to take us down, take me down to the uh, precinct and like scare me a little bit and that my parents will get to come pick me up later that night. So we go down there and they question me, ask me all of these different questions, tell me, tell them my, the story from my uh, standpoint, all this, and they're keeping me overnight. So then they tell my parents, hey, we're keeping him overnight. You'll probably be able to pick him up tomorrow morning. Well, that didn't happen either. They basically said, no, we're going to hold him for another couple of days and he'll have a, a trial, obviously, on the third day. <laughs> it's the law. And like, you'll probably get him back then. So three days later, I'm in front of a, a judge with a public defender who 
kind of looks like Hagrid from the Harry Potter series. <laughs> like that's the best way I could describe it. Like he was an interesting character and I had no idea what to expect. I was like, all right, well, we'll see. And so we go to court and basically they present the case. They present the fact that I have no prior history of anything. I wasn't like a kid with a record or anything. I'm in all, you know, honors classes in high school and a uh, smart kid, yada, yada, yada. And basically the judge said this, well, you're right. He has, you know, clean record. He is a very smart kid. And because of that, he should have known better. So we're not going to let him out. Like that's what the judge said. I should have known better, which is right. I should have known better. Um, so basically my parents were there and they got to watch me get carted back out into juvenile hall uh, for another who knows how long. And so then in juvenile hall, I was there um, working my way up the system. I was 15, but luckily I'd gone from my fat stage into like kind of my working out stage. So um, I looked a little bit older and my, my strategy in the pen, as I like to call it, was just don't talk to anyone and don't smile, which worked out pretty well. So no one really messed with me, which was good. They all thought I was a little bit older than I was, which was also good. Um, but I didn't make any friends there. wasn't trying to. However, one of the guys did go to my high school and he gave me a note at the end of my stay that he wanted me to pass along to his girl that was on the outside that also went to Hoover. And so I did that, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I was in juvie and I was working my way up. I actually had like no like infractions or anything while I was there. Clean record in the pen um, as well. And uh, worked my way up to where I got to actually start doing like chores. Like when you're in any kind of, I think, prison system or correctional facility, like it's a good sign when they allow you to do work. And so I remember getting to sweep and getting to go out and do all sorts of different, you know, cleaning uh, tasks and duties. And I was doing that for, I guess it ended up being another six days. So nine days total before my next hearing before a judge was. And at that point, you know, they'd been telling my parents so many times like, oh yeah, he's definitely going to get to come home. So I go to this hearing and again, they said, no, we got to keep him a little bit longer. So my parents are in total meltdown mode. I think my dad lost like 40 pounds during this time. Best diet he's ever been on. You're welcome, dad. I'll not put that in. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so again, like not really knowing what's going on. Um, I don't know really what happened next, but basically another three days went by and I had another hearing and that's when the judge at that point in time kind of said like, you should have been released a long time ago. Like at this point I'm missing a significant amount of school and they're delivering my trigonometry homework to juvenile hall for me to like not get too far behind, which isn't very helpful. Like when you're in <laughs> juvenile hall and they bring you all your nerdy homework to do, like everyone's looking at you like, I thought you were hard. Now I know you're just a big nerd. Like either way, it didn't have an adverse effect on me, but it definitely could have if I would have been there any longer. So finally this judge was just like, yeah, we need to, we can let him out, but we need to make sure that his entire house is cleaned of any kind of chemicals that could be used to do anything like this. 
Um, oh, and I forgot to backtrack too. This time, this entire time, I was charged with four felonies. So I'm a 15 year old kid, and at this time, the three strikes you're out, like law or rule, was in place in California. And if I would have gotten convicted, that would have been it for me, like all in one fail swoop. You know, I'd have been pretty much done. Uh, fortunately, at this point in time, given my clear background or you know not having any kind of history previously, and then also my stellar time in juvenile hall, they said, okay, we're going to drop your four felony charges down to one misdemeanor. So I was convicted of a misdemeanor and they released me and put me on three months of the ankle monitor. So I was on house arrest and wasn't able to go anywhere but to school and home. And then uh, I was on probation for a year. I had to do 200 hours of community service um, within that year period. So that was all on my own independently. And then also had to do 14 days of the community service work program, which is when you see those guys in the orange suits on the side of the highway, that's like the actual program. And so I had to do 14 days of that on top of my 200 hours. And at the point in time, at this point in time, 100 hours was supposed to be the max sentence of community service. But I guess they said, since we're being lenient on your charges, we're going to still give you twice the max sentence of community service up to 200 hours, which is quite a bit to do in a year's time. And then I also had to write a three page essay on character counts and pay a $50 fine. But, so are there any life lessons that you want to tell the people? Here's a life lesson. This is a good one. If you're going to get in trouble and do something stupid, do it before you're 18. <laughs> that's the best thing. That's the, like, that's my encouragement to you. Listeners, to, to everyone, if you're over 18, don't do anything stupid. If you're below 18, have at it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you would, take a moment to go to iTunes and rate the podcast. This makes the podcast more available to listeners like you. We'd like to take a minute and thank Javier Suarez, a.k.a. Jazar, for the music that you've heard on this podcast. You can check him out on betterwithmusic.com. This podcast is produced by us, Jeremy and Drew. Check out bigbearmedia.org for more information. We'll see you next time.